When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is Royfield, and this is uh, a rather old recording, which I never actually put up. Uh, cutting a long story short, it fell in between the cracks. It's my interview with Ben Norris who plays Ben Archer on The Archers. Utterly charming chap. I don't know why this didn't schedule to upload when it should have. He does talk about quarantine and the pandemic just a little, but I don't think it's particularly aged at all. Um, Enjoy my chat with with Ben Norris, um, which was recorded in about May of this year. Hello, how are you, sir? I'm good. How are you, mate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm good also. I am. Um, you, you, you are shockingly young and handsome. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I had to shave the other day for um, for a self tape for a, a, a another child. So um, yeah, I, I look young when I shave, and I look haggard when I don't. It's quite a marked transition. All my housemates are like, oh my God, it's it's the weird child. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's a strange one. Quarantine, I feel like it's a time to explore. Like my hair is longer than it's been in, in ages. So I'm just kind of rolling really and seeing what, seeing what happens. Well, well, if you're rolling with it, you're looking good on it. Do you know what I mean? So uh, props to you. But isn't that kind of like part of the... the I was going to say essence, and if that's the right word, or um, one of the great things about you, uh, people when they do voice acting, is they can kind of be just about any age, really, can't they? You know, and you're kind of significantly older than the character that you play. Yeah, I'm 10 years older, Mm. um, almost to the month. I'm I'm, uh, 10 years and a couple of months uh, older than Ben. And I'm also called Ben, which is helpful. Um, but there's a few of us that are, I think I think Tim is Tim is about ten years older than David, maybe um, from memory. Well, some mm. lots of people said, "Oh, it's a similar age gap with me when I when I joined and and um, was kind of." It's interesting going through, you know, the, those rites of passage that adolescents go through a decade later, and remembering some of those excitements and humiliations and, and that sort of thing so, so what, yeah. are, you, are you remembering and you channeling the time when you uh uh bonked a, a, a doctor and uh yeah you channeled that into your performance did you no i i um, i'm not sure i ever had such a um, commendable 
um, <laughs> age, age gap yeah. most of them were. But um, no, yeah, it's it, it, mostly when he was failing. Mostly all of his ritual, uh, ritual failures, like the the Valentine's Day party of last year, and just all the all, all the getting up of hopes and the dashing of hopes. That that feels um, quite familiar. <laughs> I must admit, like it's lovely um, doing these interviews. And obviously, I'm just like this big nerd fan. Well, the joke is, I've been running this podcast for six years, and I don't see myself as a particularly big nerdy fan of the Archers, but I must be, right? There are a whole load of people who have a much more encyclopedic knowledge of the thing than I do, right? Um, But so you do this thing, and then you meet the people behind the voices, And then you do a little bit of research and your jaw drops. And my jaw dropped with you. You're some kind of clever dude, poet thing going. I'm like, how many things does this man do? So you have to take take us all the way back to uh, you being a young Ben and you getting on the career path that you're on. So obviously this is about words and and creativity but when did you kind of discover what did you discover that mm, you know i need to i need to express myself uh through let's say through poetry let's start with that poetry was um started at school but sort mm-hmm. of in secret because it's not it's not cool to like poetry particularly if you're a boy uh at a, at a kind of you know city state school but i had, I had a really great but isn't it a way of wooing the girls though like Not, at that stage i either it wasn't or i hadn't clocked that it was uh because i don't know maybe there were some people who who secretly thought oh that's that's really cool that that person's into that and they're brave enough to be openly into that and i like that sensitivity or that kind of divergence from you know gendered norm but at that point i i wasn't even kind of openly saying that i liked it i was just secretly not hating it as much as i performed mm-hmm. to the rest but but I remember distinctly going to um, there's this thing called Poetry Live where all the poets that are not dead who are in the AQA anthology for GCSE English they do uh, like a reading uh, they they tour around the country and do readings for GCSE students to go to and I distinctly remember going to that and hearing uh, a host of great poets but in particular Simon Armitage and John Agard mm-hmm. I remember a real impact on me because I thought they just seemed like quite ordinary in a really nice way quite ordinary people telling these not kind of highfalutin stories but quite accessible language and I just thought they were funny and they had senses of humor and they were and and so the seed was probably planted there but it wasn't until I got to university I went to Birmingham University actually so it's really lovely to be working on the archers again and have an excuse to go uh, back to Birmingham Um, but but yeah, going there, there was an amazing creative writing scene, both within the English department and also in the um, the student union and, and mm-hmm. the society that I joined and loads of open mic nights. And I didn't even know that um, spoken word existed at that point. Uh, and I knew that there was acting and there was writing. And I didn't really know that there was this sort of middle thing that you could do where you wore both of those hats and so that was really thrilling because because i had a massive interest in both of those things but i'd never yeah i'd never explored that path before so yeah i was just really lucky to be in such a kind of rich culture of it at uni and then and then started doing slams and they started going okay and then stopped doing slams and started doing kind of normal gigs and, and sometimes getting paid for it and so that that's the sort of the poetry journey 
Good heavens. You, you can get paid for poetry. Yeah, I mean, not often and not much, but uh, sometimes. So little yeah. writing missions or do, doing, doing gigs is, and, and doing workshops and teaching is, is the main way that poets mm-hmm. earn. Very rare that people earn their entire living from books that they sell. Um, probably, probably not even Simon, even now he's the poet laureate makes his entire living off of sales but uh but yeah there's there's other sort of ancillary activities that you can do and, and sometimes you get paid yeah well is acting your side hustle then so it's a really like poetry's your love and you have to do this bloody archers thing like fucking hell just like to be able like you know like to help keep uh, the roof over your head no no it's it's um it's so funny because when i so i went to uni and and mm. was doing was studying writing um but then but I'd always loved acting and mm-hmm. um, it had been a real kind of, I don't know whether to go to drama or try and go to drama school or to go to uni and, and decided to go to uni because also at that time I was doing a lot of sport and drama school has such intense hours that I would have had to stop doing that and I wasn't quite ready to stop doing that. So I went for uni. But anyway, by the time I came to graduate, I realized that I did want to go to drama school and I did want to really give this acting malarkey a proper shot. And um, so auditioned for some drama schools, got into one. And, and then really my plan was, and this is so laughably naive now, but it was like, okay, so I'm just going to be an actor for a bit because what I need to do is live more of my life, just learn more about the world and also learn more about storytelling through being in other people's stories and just being in that world. And then I'm going to start writing again when I've got better at that. Obviously, graduated from drama school, got absolutely no work at all for ages. and so. Not reluctantly, but sort of thought, oh, I should probably keep writing then, mm-hmm. even if I'm nervous about not knowing quite what to say or how, how to say it. Moreover, I'm just going just gonna to carry on doing that. And really, writing's probably saved, I don't know about saved, but writing's definitely helped my acting career because I did a, I did a one-man show that I performed and, uh, and then got a few other things as a result of that, little things like short scratch nights of plays and that sort of thing, but eventually got an agent from that not from my drama school showcase. So mm-hmm. it's, it's probably helped in that respect, but it is definitely not a, not a sort of um, muggle job or like a thing that I do to, to survive. I love it. And I'm, I'm really, really enjoying the Archers in particular to kind of spend consistent time with the character rather than just doing, doing a short project and then having to put it down again and, and, you know, getting to know this person and growing with them. That's, and just being part of a family, you know, this business that we're in is so, so transient that you very rarely, you come into these, these little communities and then they dissolve. And, and it's, it's really rare that yeah, you have this kind of sustained relationship with people. So kind of going in to the green room and going into the studio and the offices and seeing, seeing the same faces most of the time and being able to sort of catch up with people. It's just, mm-hmm. it's really lovely. And it's, it's really rare. You jumped way ahead with my questions, which I don't really have written down. Um, but so where actually is home for you? Because we talked about university, but we didn't go right all the way back. And also I was kind of interested that you talked about the fact that you didn't know that like slam poetry, it was even like a thing and whatever. So tell us about home, Ma and Pa, what they did, etc. cetera. Uh, so I'm from Nottingham. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad, both my parents, um, Forest or county? Ha, well, neither, because dad would, dad's from Luton, so I've, I'm a hatter oh, okay. uh, by, by inheritance. Um, 
but at least it's not you know like a glory glory club well, that's it. yeah so yeah i'm birmingham city so i'm like props to you you're a real football fan okay and i mean yeah the, the like most of my sort of teenage years and when we first went to watch luton we were we were non-league or we yeah. were like it was it's been hard times but anyway no so yeah mum and dad both both worked my mum still is a part-time library assistant in nottingham uh, and my dad is retired now but he worked for uh nottingham community housing association so he worked in yeah in um community housing and, and sort of shared ownership yeah, stuff so from a kind of thespy family or anything like that no no my my granddad my mom's dad who i never met he died just before i was born but he was quite musical and so they they were sort of arts sympathetic but they were not mm -hmm. um they weren't in the in the biz themselves in any way uh, but, they, but they were very supportive of everything i wanted to do i was really lucky uh feel very very privileged in that I sort of I'm, oh, I'm into this thing now and they're like okay we'll drive you to your youth theatre or you know we'll we'll drive you to your athletics training but that, that so they were they were very open-minded about it and when I said I wanted to do it professionally or have a go at doing it professionally they were they were cautious in the way that sort of any caring people would be because the rumors are true it's really hard to make, make a living but mm -hmm. but they did they didn't discourage me. I've got a lot of friends that were sort of told they had to go to university first and then they would let them go to drama school or they just wouldn't let them at all because they needed to have a sort of stable backup plan or, or mm. that, that wasn't something they could pursue ever. And so, so yeah, I feel, I feel really lucky, but, but not, no, no professional artists in the, uh, the immediate plan. So I'm guessing, though, that um, with your solidly nice middle class East Midlands family, that your mum uh, was a bit of an Archers fan growing up and she had it on in the kitchen. Or did I read that online somewhere where you said exactly that? Yeah, you, you, that, both of those things are true. I said exactly <laughs> that. Um, uh, yeah, I, I listened to it peripherally growing up but like a lot of teenagers i must admit i had a bit of an allergic reaction to the theme tune at that point because uh i didn't i didn't <laughs> think the program had anything to say for me uh so it would be oh mum's mum's having her arches moment so 15 minutes don't you dare interrupt mm. don't you dare and the worst would be if we were in the car and, and then you've got a captive audience later i'd sort of secretly quite get into it because you do you know it's it's so well written and 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 written in such a way that new listeners can quite quickly pick up what's happening mm. and so i would sort of secretly be kind of into it but it wasn't until years later with the uh, the helen and rob storyline and seeing all of the national press well international press coverage that that got i felt kind of this weird pride like even though I wasn't involved in the show at all and I wasn't a listener, but this thing that my mum liked, which I knew was really popular, but isn't as sort of sexy as like the big telly soaps. It doesn't get quite the, the same level of media splash normally was, was suddenly this, this huge deal. And everyone was talking about how amazingly they'd handled this incredibly tricky, incredibly important thing. And I was like, Oh, go on the arches. That's amazing. <laughs> and, and yeah, I, uh, sort of feel this, this weird affiliation with it from that time through mum, like a lot, a lot, a lot of people do. A lot of people, my generation particularly, kind of inherit the show from their mm. elders and and betters. And um, and yeah. And then and then when I got the um, 
I got the audition come through, I thought, oh, I'd really, I'd really love to get this job for all the reasons that I would love to get it myself, but also because I'd really love to be able to tell my mum that I'm, that I'm going to be in the Archers. And, and that, for her, being like a way bigger deal than if I'd rang her up and said, I'm going to do a Hollywood movie with Brad Pitt and whatever, you know, this, this to her is her sort of mm. Hollywood moment. So, you know, she, she knows the name, she knows the, the ins and outs. And so that was a real treat to be able to tell her that that had happened. So your mom is kind of pseudo-Ruth. I mean, she is in that she's literally my mum, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in what respect do you mean? Just that, well, I'm she's not. I'm being stupid. I'm being stupid. Just the fact that, you know, she's uh, the mother, uh, the actual mother of the actor playing, uh, you know, the character of Ben Archer. I'm being stupid, you know. Um, let's, so... You get the call to go for the audition. What are you doing at that time? I presume it's after uni. What are you doing after uni? Set that scene for us and then tell us about call, the audition, boom, you get it. So I, what was I doing? I mean, not, not loads. Uh, it was tough. Um, I'd been out of drama school for a good few years um, and I was doing okay. I was writing and I just finished working on so I'd been involved in a show that had, that had originally been at the Edinburgh Fringe, but then had, had gone quite well and then had gone on tour to Australia and it was about to go on tour again. And basically this, this sort of time of busyness was happening for that, for that cast. And I was in that original cast and I had a choice to make whether I wanted to sort of stay with the show or not. And I just had this feeling that it wasn't the right thing to do because it felt quite safe and safe is good. And I really respect anyone that makes safe choices because they need to for money or just for their own sanity. But at the time I sort of felt like, I feel like this might lead to a little creative quashing or whatever and, and, and me getting too comfy. And, and so I wanted to, there were some projects I wanted to work on as a writer and I also just wanted to make myself available, as they say, for anything that should come along. And for a long time, nothing came along. And I was auditioning for things and I got some near misses for things. Nothing, nothing massive, but some things, you know, you can't help, you know better than to, but you can't help but get invested in the idea of doing it, particularly if you get a recall and then you get quite familiar with the part and the script and you start to imagine doing the job. Had a, a few of those and was kind of feeling a bit, a bit flat. And then, um, and then, yeah, got the, got the call that uh, I had an audition for the Archers and I thought, oh, this is amazing, but I was very ready for it to be another, oh, I'm really invested in the idea of doing this and I would really love to do it, but it's not going to happen. Mm. Type of thing. And so I was just trying to work on kind of enjoying the auditions for what they were and not seeing them as a means to an end, but just seeing them. Brian Cranston talks brilliantly about this, about seeing auditions as not, not these doors into other rooms, but just rooms in and of themselves and just do the work and enjoy the work, give the best performance and then consider that to be that's the work done. So I just went and just tried to have a nice day. And it helps that everyone that works on the show is so lovely that it's really easy to have a nice day. I had a really nice day with, with the other auditionees and also with, um, with the people that were running the audition and with Tim who came in and read David's scenes with all the prospective Ben's. Uh, and he was very lovely and made us all feel very welcome. Kim was directing the auditions. Kim Greengrass, who directs a lot, and and yeah, she was. Everyone was just so nice, and it was so relaxed. And I think also because it's radio, there's not this sense when you audition for theatre or telly or film, 
you're so far removed from what the final performance will actually be and the working environment will actually be. You know, you're sitting in a white room with like a little camcorder and you have to, you know, imagine you're on set and imagine there's these other actors there and you're reading with someone who's just sitting behind a table and theatre likewise, you're just in a tiny room and there's a panel of people. But with the Archers audition, you were just, you know, you're in the studio and you are with the, you know, I was with Tim, who plays Ben's actual dad. And so you just do the scene and it, it, you know, felt like we were doing it. And so it was, it was really easy to sort of settle and to just do, be relaxed and, and have fun. And, and so I think that, that really helped. But yeah, I had a really nice time. <laughs> How many other Ben's were there? I can't remember. Maybe half a dozen maybe 10 at most. I can't remember. They were auditioning the Bens and the Rorys at the same time and they were having us read the, um, the, the scene that would be our first scene uh, where we um, borrow the 4x4, four four, go for a little drive around the farm and, and then the village. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I, I was paired up with a few different Rorys from memory and then in the afternoon, the Bens all read with David mm-hmm. and I think it's read with with Brian, but not with Charles because he couldn't make it. So they read with another actor who was reading, who was reading Brian, and yeah, that's how they, that's how they worked it all out. And did you walk out of there going, you know, I think I nailed that? Were you confident? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's like I said, it's such a poison, that confidence, because it's, it's so easy to think, oh, that was really good. And, and not, you never think I'm going to get that job, but you sometimes allow yourself to hope that you might. Mm. And for me, it had just been the enemy of happiness for so long that <laughs> I really tried to just be pleased with what I'd done. And I did think it had gone well. Um, they, they sort of kept me back and asked me to do a few extra things that I, I figured they wouldn't have done if they weren't at least thinking seriously about it. Did you have um, to modulate your voice at all? Because you are playing someone a little bit younger, or was, or was it just a case of, I'm just reading it, you know? No, I had to, and also I'm not, I, I don't have like a really thick 
northern accent despite the protestations of some of my southern friends but um but ben's not from nottingham and he doesn't say grass and path mm. or love and trust so i had to sort of lighten my u's and say long a's instead of short a's and just like pitch up a little bit and be a little bit more like oh my god petulant and that kind of but but it's not a million miles from my own voice mm. um so yeah and then they got me to to sort of work on that throughout the day and then they got me to do like effort noises so you know when whenever that you hear someone like lifting a sack of something or like closing a gate or you know doing general farming activities uh, they got they got me and and tim to do a scene where we needed to make effort noises to check that i could do that i still worry that it sometimes sounds like i'm having a difficult poo but i'm working on that. <laughs> Well, that that's the great thing about about radio, isn't it? That actually, lots of other noises can double up for others and stuff. So, there you go. I still find it so fascinating watching what they do. Place of thing. It's it's. A, I wish one day they should they should film it all with sort of webcams and sell it or put it on YouTube. You know, because it's people. I think people would be really interested. It's it's so fascinating and clever and funny. We've done a couple of tours of the Archers studio and invariably it's the sound effects and it's the ball. And people just go, I can't believe it's this thing like this big. And it just makes about four or five different sounds. And that is the pub type of thing. I was come back just amazed about exactly that, what you're saying. It's how the sounds are created and what things double up as, you know, as, as are the sounds and stuff. So, you go to Brum, you have a great day, you meet uh, the great Tim Bentink, uh, is going to be your, your pops. Um, how many days did you have, were you left there sweating until you got the call? I think my audition was on a Thursday or a Friday. And then from memory, I think I found out maybe on the following Tuesday. Mm -hmm. uh, so it wasn't too long. Generally, the longer that goes by, the more you're like, I haven't, I haven't got it. It's not going to happen. But, but sometimes a weekend can be a nice kind of barrier because you know that no one's in the office, no one's working. Mm. So you can sort of think, oh, that's, they're not working days. So it's still only been a couple of, you know, and, and, but, but as I've said, I really tried to just be like, okay, well done. But also that's gone now. So just move on with your life. And I had a, I had a poetry gig in, in Nottingham, well, in Mansfield, Nottinghamshire, um, that day and was on the train up when I got the call from my agent. And so I was, and my mum was coming, my mum and her partner were coming to this gig. And, and then, and I found out that I'd got the part and I had to really, you know, I had to try really hard not to immediately ring my mum because I really wanted to tell her, but I thought oh, it would be better if, and I needed to concentrate on that, that evening as well and do the gig. So I, I thought I'm going to do the gig. And then when we're in the car, cause I was going to stay at theirs for the night, sort of use it as a chance to catch up with them. And, I'm going to tell them, I'm going to tell them when we, when we drive back and, um, and, and yeah, it was really, it was really lovely. It was, you know, I haven't had many moments of being able to say like, I got the job. So it was in particular <laughs> one of those because of what it, you know, because she's a fan and, 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 um, her partner, Brian is a fan too. Uh, and so, yeah, that was, that was really nice. Aww. So, um, this thing is called my first day on set. So we've built up beautifully. Uh, to that point we've got you the poet we've got you the Luton Town fan and, and the fact that your mom um, is a big fan 
uh, of the archers. So got to set the scene for us, take a deep breath and uh, give us the dramatic construct, sir, of the first day when you walked into the mailbox. And uh, what was that like? Well, I'm sure you've had people tell you this before, but getting into the mailbox is kind of a mission. Getting into BBC Birmingham is a mission in and of itself because mm -hmm. this rightly is quite high and you don't have your, your pass yet or anything like that. So I remember sort of having to actually get through the door as being a bit of a mission. But yeah, it was the, so the first episode was, was me and, and Arthur who plays Rory uh, riding, joyriding around Ambridge and I remember sort of really struggling with it like because it's so you know they build the, they build this little fake car around you um and to acoustically make it car like but you're you, you know you're in two like wooden kitchen chairs and there's no steering wheel the big thing I struggle with and I'm sure that everyone says this is like the scripts are can be really loud and they just sound like paper everywhere so you've got to you've got to learn to like stealthily turn the pages and I had a few lessons in, in how to do that from various people. There's different techniques. There's rival methodologies going on. <laughs> um, Tim, Tim has mastered the, the, like, the stealthy page turn where like, you keep it taut. And then when it reaches the, the sort of apex of it, I'm saying words like I know what they mean. But when it goes past the point where if you drop it, it wouldn't make a noise anymore, you can do that. And then you like, over the, the course of the next page, you sort of take that one into your arm, and it's like it's like tenderly cradling a baby. That's how Tim. <laughs> Arthur likes to. If if the scene is two pages, this is particularly good. If it's any more, it gets tricky. But he'll he'll rip them out and he'll scrunch them up, and it looks like he's just hating the writing and he's going to throw it away. But he'll scrunch them up and then he'll unscrunch them, and what you've got is what he calls a poppadom, and, and so you can move the poppadom around and it doesn't flap anymore because it's got all these creases in. So he'll he'll have these two poppadoms, these silent silent weapons of of art, uh, and and so I was mostly just um, struggling with that. There was a lot to think about for a first scene. It was pretty intense because we were joyriding a car. So there's all the kind of making noises of joyriding, not making any noise of the script, being ten years younger than myself and having a slightly different accent. It's it's not um, rocket science, but I was a bit like, oh god, don't um, don't mess this up. So. Yeah, it was intense, but it was it was brill, and everyone's so lovely uh, that I it just felt very I felt very welcome, which is I know a sort of like soppy thing to say, but that's my my overriding memories of. Um, yeah. is, is <laughs> ben, do you know what? Right, uh, I'm kind of waiting in a perverse way for someone to bowl in and say, "I walked into that green room and I wasn't made to feel welcome." Right, and everyone was. <laughs> Everybody's like. It's so warm and welcoming, and I felt like you know immediately like kind of kind of part of things and stuff. But it shows you what a wonderfully uh, embracing institution this is, and that the actors are somewhat of a kind of a a band of jobbing brothers, aren't you? Yeah, I'd say that. Yeah, that probably if, I can imagine that's been the case forever, really. And, and if you walk into a culture of welcome, then when you've been there a little while and someone else comes in, you extend that welcome to them, and it just it self perpetuates. I think it's it's so nice, and it's it's very you know they've got the operation down. It's very kind of military with its timings. I've I've not done a great deal of other radio drama, but I've done a little bit, and I, I did a radio play last year, and I was 
I'd got so used to the way that we rattle through the scenes and it's like we do the read through then the scene's gonna go in this order and then it's like right you're in bam and you know there's there is time to be an artist but there's not time to like mess around so um so mm -hmm. everyone's quite everyone's amazingly on it but that doesn't mean that it's it's stressful it's i'm sure that it is for many people particularly those um kind of on the desk and doing the edits and directing but but yeah it's just it's so it's so nice i guess because everyone knows that you you do your best work when you feel chilled and and also that we're all kind of i suppose there's this sense that because it's not full-time job and you know there's a few days a month that we all go up and do studio and then you know everybody has other lives and and so everybody's sort of sympathetic to that and what, what other work you might be doing or what other things might be going on and there's just this yeah it's like a, a little kind of catch-up but supportive and people you know go and see each other in plays when they're on and um i angus and i went for a run in you know we he was training for a can't remember if it was a half marathon or a full marathon and also sad to think that that is during this time so that's not going to happen for him but i yeah, I, I used to do a lot of running and still really love it. So just finding those breaks to kind of, oh, we, let's in between this episode and that episode, let's go for a for an hour long run around the canals of Birmingham, or let's go to the cinema. And so there's this real sense of kind of, mm. oh, it's, you know, friends, friends. Friend. <laughs> do you think it's it helps that you and Angus are pals and in real life because you know on the show it at least we're led to believe us the listeners that you're going to uh kind of like be pals for life aren't you? is that you know this is your mucker you know you and rory ben and rory you know kind of similar age etc etc oh i i angus angus not arthur so angus being oh. who played josh um sorry but, but same is true well, for arthur it was the same thing though isn't it really that's yeah. you know and i must admit i maybe it's because I, i'm a boy i'm a bloke um I love the whole scene where you kind of were embarrassed. You, there you go. Ben Archer was embarrassed, uh, bump, bumping, in, bumping into the doctor. You know, had this, uh, you know, you've uh, consummated your 18th, so to speak, and you're a conquering hero. And then you were deflated. And it was your older brother that just ripped the hell out of you and embarrassed, embarrassed you. That was, for me, so true to life. You yeah. Know, that was... Uh, some of the some of the chat on on Twitter and the various social medias were, you know, Josh was so rude, he was horrible. I'm like, have you not been a teenage boy and had a slightly older mate? This is this is not standard stuff, you know. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was fun to do as well because those little asides that he had, um, mm. you know, where he'd have to kind of lean in and whisper. That's quite hard to do on radio and, and make it sound believable. So we had a lot of fun playing around with that but yeah it, it does help because i don't know josh and ben have this i, I guess quite typical sibling relationship really mm. where they're constantly annoyed with each other um and constantly kind of complaining but at the same time there's this you know if if one of them has to do something for the other even if they do it begrudgingly they'll they'll do it of course and they, they love each other and there's this sort of unspoken bond and i thought those scenes were were really lovely and that, that whole kind of little arc because although it's so much less significant than the sort of meaty storylines that have been going on it, it's nice to be that little bit of kind of comic 
relief or that little bit of lightness and so-called normality in, in mm. that. And yeah, it was really lovely to do those scenes. And it was, I think, probably the first time I felt really with Pip and with Josh, with Daisy and Angus, like we, we had, we had the, the trio down because we've not worked together as a trio a great deal. That's the weird thing. I've been doing the show now for 18 months, but I still feel brand new. And I still feel like I'm still getting a handle on Ben and on, on those relationships. And, and yeah, we've, we've, I didn't even meet Angus for months and months. And he's my brother. I didn't meet Flick, my mum, Ruth, for months and months either. And so, yeah, it's kind of odd. Time moves. Not a good mum. Not, mum. Not, not very hands-on. <laughs> oh, right. I see. Very good mum. Yeah. Um, emotionally neglectful in that respect. Uh, but yeah, it's, she, leaves every, it's, she leaves everything to Jill. You know, that's the reason why you, you haven't seen her. Jill, I love Ben and Jill's relationship. It's so cute. It's so much fun. And Pat, Paddy's amazing. I love those scenes. She's so sharp and funny and just charming and yeah I, I i could i could listen to paddy and watch paddy do stuff for, for hours and hours he's so real it must be um uh, you can really see i would have thought you know the whole kind of like passing of uh the generational torch so to speak you know, She's been in it since the 50s, hasn't she? Late, late 50s. Well, no, mid 50s, mid to late 50s. And, you know, she's still a vital part of storylines. And I remember talking on the show a couple of weeks ago. Um, I'm a sentimental old git, right? And, you know, being a West Indian parentage, you know, generations are really important. You know, you show respect to your elders and you and at time you you've got to spend time to sit with your elders and they're going to tell you stories and whatever about the family and uh, and what they did and you go mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and I love all of that. So when you guys were doing that, right? I, I was like, this is me, my grandmother. You know, my grandmother that grew up in Jamaica, who's like telling me stuff, and and I loved. And I really do think that the relationship which Ben has with his grandmother is, is wonderful for that. You know, it reminds me of my culture, my history, but also the Archers is all about custodianship and heritage and, 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 and inheritance and heritage. That's what it's all about, you know. And when I first started listening to it, um, Phil uh was running the farm but his father had only died relatively recently even though he'd been running the farm for for quite some time you know so i i, I love that and and i'm incredibly i think it's really deft writing and deft acting when you're there with paddy you know with, with jill archer and i'm an incredibly kind of touched because that's for me is the whole essence of the whole thing you know it's called the archers and here is another generation of archers you know who are going to become central to the storyline and it's a lovely way of, of easing you in yeah I, I i love those those scenes and i love the audience response to them that the, i'm so it's so nice to hear you say that it reminded you of you and your gran and that it has it sort of crosses these you know cultural and, and generational boundaries because yeah i i feel i have you know i feel very kind of familial about that and it, it reminded me of conversations I've had with my grandparents and my mum texted me after the episode that I think we're both talking about where Jill and I were in the orchard and she was sort of telling me 
you know, about when she first came to Brookfield and all that, mm. you know, heritage chat, as you said. And she, yeah. my mum texted me saying, oh, that, that really reminded me of conversations I've had in, in the family. And, and it was just like listening to you talking to Gran. And I thought it was really sweet. Although I thought it was probably an insult on my acting as well. I was like, you shouldn't be hearing me. You should be hearing the character. Um, but they're quite similar. So yeah, it was, uh, it's, it's so lovely to do that. And I think, I think actually, you know, it's, it's easy to sometimes crave like meteor storylines or to feel like from Ben's point of view that he's sort of, he doesn't like being characterized as like too sweet because he wants, you know, he wants like girls to fancy him and he wants to seem like a cool guy. But actually for me that they're so meaningful, those scenes. And like you say, they, they really get to the heart of what not just the show is about, but what it's about. And, and it's, it's lovely to get to do them. It's really lovely. Well, we should kind of wind this up because that's like literally like a perfect end. Like you're self-directing yourself there, sir. You know, it's uh, so you walk into this thing. You've been there for eighteen months, and you're going to be there forever now, aren't you? You know, well, you're gonna you've ingratiated yourself to the listeners. Everybody loves the character of Ben, and and as you've rightly said, what has been interesting is and, and really good for us listeners is to hear Ben with his two siblings now and that was a couple of weeks for us as listeners when there was uh, the whole your 18th and your sister was there Pip and uh, with your way for a slightly older brother Josh um, the three of you are good right and, and I'll be honest and I'll be honest right so that and, and I've said this on the podcast a few times, because the Brookers Archers lot are, in effect, the royal family of, of the whole show, right? They are. The Brookers and their oppressors, you mean? <laughs> Which well, I love. I, I love. That, that's, that, it is, that is really good. Um, you are fundamentally really the centre of the whole uh, of the whole thing. Yes, there's other scions of the Archer family. There's a Bridge Farm lot, and then there's the Aldridges who are archers as well but fundamentally really it's brookers right that um you ain't going anywhere whatever you're gonna be like 70 and it's gonna be like oh ben archer isn't it is that's what it's gonna be right so you can do your slam poetry you can do all that other stuff you can talk about brexit i saw i saw that but that's rather good or whatever thank you yeah. was, was that all you sir uh, which one? I, I, Brexit was a very fire under my ass. Yeah, so, sovereignty was a, a collab with Nottingham Playhouse, but in terms uh, of the writing and the performance, yeah, that that was me. Yeah, well, um, I, I, I enjoyed it, and and I thought to myself, <laughs> sorry, no, I said we sorted it, didn't we? One poem, <laughs> cancelled and sorted. No, it's uh, it's amazing how that's receded into the memory. Given uh, yeah, that that's the good old days now, isn't it? When we're arguing over Brexit. Only Brexit to worry about. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. Go on. No, Sorry. No, after you, sir. Well, I was I was just going to say that a few people have said that to me about kind of the longevity and and being in the show for a long time. And I guess similar to the attitude I tried to have when I auditioned for the show, I don't want to count my chickens or my lambs, as it were. Just like enjoy it, enjoy being in it, and and it would be amazing if if you know. I guess unless they kill me or I quit or get fired, I will carry on being in it. But you never know how central or not central you're going to be. And, um, and just to be, to be grateful for that and to be sort of part of it. But yeah, it would be 
it's strange to think that I might grow with this character through both of our lives. And, and strange as it is to think of, of being 80 or 90 or, you know, like to be, to be um, June and still be in the show. Like that, that's, that's an incredible prospect and it would be an honor. So uh, we'll see what happens. But um, either way, I'm just trying to kind of enjoy it in the present and do a good job. Ben Norris, thank you for coming on to my first down set. Thanks, Royfield. Thanks for having me. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.